Well, I think Peter's point is very, very simple. And the point is this, that an Old Testament jackass is smarter than a false teacher. And if you're willing to follow a false teacher where a dumb donkey is smarter, what does it make you? Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be picking up in the second part of verse 10 in just a moment. And the title this morning is Dangerous Arrogance. Now, arrogance is defined as an attitude of superiority manifested in an overbearing manner or presumptuous claims. Now, I would wager this morning that if not all, the vast majority of people do not like arrogant people. To put it mildly, it's a little bit off-putting, right? We, we have all met that person who knows uh, or, or thinks that they have done everything, knows everything, and has done it bigger and better than everyone else. Right? I, I would ask your hand if you know anybody like that, but I, I don't want to embarrass anybody in, in, in case somebody's here in, the, in the, the room, which I know nobody is. I'll just throw that out. As I was preparing for this, I read an interesting article. And the, the title of the article was The Price of Arrogance. And it was actually an excerpt from a book. And basically what the author did in this book was he went back in history and he looked at great leaders of the ancient world. So think Alexander the Great and, and all these. And then he looked at business leaders of today, and he drew parallels between basically conquering the world and conquering corporate America. It was, it was a fascinating concept. And one of the leaders that he wrote about, I, I had never heard of, to be honest with you. Her name was Linda Walkner, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And she was the CEO of Warnico. Is anybody, anybody familiar with Warnico? You ever heard of that company? Well, you probably have actually wore some of their clothes because they were the largest clothing manufacturer in the world. Now listen to what she did. She came in in 1986, and in 1986 to 1998, she quadrupled the size of the company. I mean, she brought, bought brands like Calvin Klein, uh, Speedo, all these. I mean, at the height of 1998, she was the highest paid CEO in America. She led the largest clothing manufacturer in the world so that in 1998, that company had a revenue of $2 billion. But she had a problem, and her problem was she thought she knew it all, knew it better, and didn't need to listen to anyone else. She was arrogant. Someone wrote 
One of her employees said, Her ego, coupled with a seemingly insatiable appetite for power, an Olympian-sized pay package placed a fatal strain on her company and brought her down. How far did it bring her down? Two years. From 1998, they had a profit of $2 billion. Two years later, they had a net loss of $330 million. They, she lost $2.3 billion in two years because she was arrogant, because she thought she could do it better. And not only did her arrogance ruin her company, it ruined the brand's. It ruined people's lives that that worked for her. It had a trickle-down effect of destruction. See, and that's one of the problems that most arrogant people don't realize. If they lead out of their arrogance, it's not just their downfall that occurs. It impacts people who are following them. When we come to 2 Peter 2, verse 10 and following, Peter is going to hammer home the arrogance of these false leaders. He is, I mean, he's getting ready to really just launch into them. About, they think they know more. They, they, they think that they have their, their instincts are better, that their, their hearts are, are, are better. But what Peter's going to say is they're so arrogant, they don't see how dangerous their teachings are and how dangerous it is to those who are following them. And Peter is telling us as, as, as we read this this morning that, hey, we've got to be able to recognize the false teachers we got to be able to see them for who they are so that we know not to follow them. Because they're not going to lead us to God, but instead they're going to lead us away from God and to destruction. So picking up in the second part of verse 10 and reading down to verse 16. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels... Though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This morning, as we are looking at, at this section, Peter is going to show us or tell us that believers need to be able to identify false teachers. And the overarching theme is that, that believers can identify false teachers by their arrogance. That's what he wants us to see. And he says that their arrogance is on display in three different ways. And the first way is this. False teachers elevate their own authority. False teachers elevate their own authority. And this morning, uh, of the three points, this is where we're going to spend the most 
on because Peter has the most to say about this. And you may want to put out in the side of your notes that this is what comes from their mouth. All right, this, this comes from their mouth. And Peter says that even though the words sound right, they are not. Because when you look down through here, three different times he uses the word blaspheme. They're blasphemers. All right? The word eulogy, we know, means to speak well of. The word blaspheme means to speak evil against. So here the prophets, these false prophets, are uttering haughty and blasphemous words and sayings. And look at how they're described in doing this, right? Look at the adjectives that, that Peter used. He says, with boldness, with willfulness. They, they, they don't tremble. You know, they're, they're happy to do it. And, and they're just going for it. They count it pleasure. I mean, they, they, they love it. They, they, they love doing this. And they're proclaiming all of this stuff for people to hear. And they're doing it, Peter says... Like irrational animals, creatures of instinct. I know most of you in here have a dog. Right? You ever watch a dog or a cat or something do stuff that's just, I mean, defines a dog and you just it's just what a dog does. I mean, it's all the dog knows to do. Right? I mean, you know, we, we have it. This, I'm, going to, I'm going to quote a scripture passage to prove my illustration that a, it says in God's Word that a dog returns to its own vomit. Right? We've seen that happen. Why? Because it's a, the dog is a creature of instinct. I don't know why it does it. It's not something I would do. It's not something I encourage my dog to do. But we've all seen the dogs do it. They can't help themselves. They're being the animal that God created them. And Peter says, hey, these false uh, teachers are, are, are just, they're, they're like irrational animals. Because a dog returning to its own vomit is irrational in our minds. And Peter is saying, they're irrational. They're, they're so irrational that they're, they're talking about things which they are ignorant. They're ignorant about what they're speaking. Now, you know, ignorance is not necessarily a bad thing. Every last one of us in here are ignorant about some things. Some of us willfully, right? Most medical procedures I choose to be willfully ignorant about. I don't want to know. I still hear that clamp in my head that Debbie brought to Sunday school years ago. And every time I hear that, I just, I, I shudder. I choose to be willfully ignorant. Some things we're ignorant about just because we don't know. We don't understand. We didn't study everything. So we're ignorant. It's all right to be ignorant. Now, I know we use that today as, as a pejorative to, to insult somebody, but think about how many things in life we are actually ignorant of, and it doesn't mean that you're bad or you're not smart. It just means, I don't know. Peter says they are so ignorant, but what's happening is they continue to speak out of their ignorance, and that's when it turns into arrogance. They think they know. Debbie, what would have happened if one day I decide to scrub in and walk into an OR room with you other than me passing out and, and, and looking at the surgeon and going, slide over. I think I got this. I watched a YouTube video. Right? I mean, several things are wrong with that, right? All of a sudden, it's like, I'm ignorant, but now I'm so arrogant, I think I know how to perform surgery, 
even though I don't. That's what's happening. These false teachers are so ignorant. But their ignorance is turning to arrogance because they're preaching. Remember what the core concept is. Jesus is not coming back. Do what you want. They're ignorant of the Scriptures. And Peter, to prove their, their, their arrogance and how they're elevating their own authority, uses a, a, a difficult analogy to understand. So I'm going to try to walk, it th- walk you through it the best I can. Because it says that they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, so greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. What Peter is pointing out here, it's not that they're blaspheming against the Lord directly. But here's what Peter is saying. He is saying that angels are greater and more powerful than the false prophets, greater and more powerful than us. But the angel's primary job was to deliver deliver God's message. And when God looked at Gabriel and said, take this message, or looks at Michael and says, take this message, Gabriel and Michael took that message. They didn't change God's message. Because the angels weren't arrogant enough to go, you know what, God, that sounds like a good message, but I'm not going to deliver it. I'm going to change it. But the angels didn't do that. When Gabriel came down and we see him in Luke 2 deliver the message to John, he doesn't change God's message. When we see the angels appear in the Old Testament, they don't change God's message. When we see the the archangel Michael and Jude, he doesn't change God's message. But these false prophets are so arrogant that they have the audacity to change God's message and set themselves up as their own authority. And you see this even today. We all know that the Holy Spirit's job is to lead you and to guide you into all truth, guide you into sin, into repentance. We understand that. But here's the difference. Here's where it becomes arrogant and you start saying, my authority. Well, God revealed to me. God spoke to me. And I don't deny that. That's the Holy Spirit leading us. But at the moment that I say that what God spoke to me is now normative and authoritative for you, I have set myself up as my own authority above God's message. And I can't do that. Because the Holy Spirit might lead us, looking at uh, Landon and I past, the Holy Spirit led us to go overseas as missionaries. But I can't now come look at you and say, based on my authority of being a missionary, God says you have to go be a missionary too, because if you don't obey, you're not listening to God's Word. That's not true. That's elevating myself to a position of authority, where I'm changing what God has said, and I'm putting a requirement on you that's not biblical. And sadly, we see this not only in false teachers and false prophets of Peter's time, we see this today. And it's not, and and while Peter, here's the really sad thing. It's coming from the church. This isn't just restricted to the world. This is coming from the church. And God's message is being changed from the beginning to the end. And everything in the middle. 
Sex and gender are now fluid societal constructs instead of absolute immutable God-given traits. We have to speak now about traditional marriage. We have to, instead of God being separate but active in His creation, everyone and everything is God, and God is in us and in the trees and in the mountains and the leaves and everything else. Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Heaven is, is, heaven is real, but hell is not. Have you ever noticed that? If you think about it for a minute, you can't really have a heaven if you don't have a hell. They, kind of, they, they go together. What, what would be heaven? One person's heaven is another person's hell. But you see all of this denial of truth. Jesus isn't really going to return. And most of those things, yes, you can read them in headlines of every major newspaper in America, but you can hear them just about from any pulpit in America today, too. What's happening? They're elevating their own authority. A while back, a popular pastor, and the clip goes around on YouTube every now and then, and, and the point that he is trying to make, and he tries to make it through a very emotional but incredibly lacking analogy, is he's looking and says, he wants people to, and he says that God basically broke the law for love. That God loved you so much that he was, you were his child and there was nothing that you could do that he broke the law for love. And it sounds so good. And he tells this really great analogy of if you're going to take your, your son or daughter to the hospital because they're sick, you're going to break the speed limit. And it sounds really good and it's really emotional, but my gosh, it is so wrong. Because God didn't break the law for love. And in fact, if you understand that or you think that way, it actually makes God a couple things. One, it makes him a sinner because he broke his own moral law. But secondly, it actually diminishes God's love because God's love is spelled out on the cross. When he looked at you and said, there's nothing that you can do to be saved, but there's something that I can do. You can't fulfill the law. I can. I'm going to come, take on human flesh fulfill the law for you, die in your place as the law requires so that you can have life and be raised again. That is much more loving than God breaking the law. But you hear stuff like this. And it all comes down to what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 8, that the cross is a stumbling block. It really is. Now, as I thought about this, I realized, how many of you have ever stumbled? Right? I've stumbled. Have you noticed that when you stumble, one of two things happen? You either regain your footing or you face plant. We all hope to regain our footing. We've all face planted. And I think that's a great illustration. I think that's why Peter uses the word stumble. Because every one of us here this morning, at some point, we stumbled over the cross. It doesn't make sense. There's a mystery and a miracle in the cross, right? The, 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 the mystery is that, that God satisfied the demands of the law while at the same time offering mercy to us who stand condemned by it. The miracle part is he did. And we stumble over that. The question is whether or not it causes us to completely face plant. In many people, it does. In many pulpits and churches across America, the cross is a stumbling block, and people are face planning. 
because they're being led by people who just, they can't grasp the miracle of the cross. They would do it differently. They would do it better. If they could just change a couple things. The problem is the Bible isn't one of the things you can just change a couple things. The Bible is one of the few things, if not the only thing in life, that's an either-or proposition. Either it is true, every aspect of it, or nothing is true. You cannot have bits and pieces and parts. It's one or the other. But the false prophets then and some of the false prophets now say, I don't like that, and on my own authority, I can determine what God really meant. What Jesus really said. And what His real message is. So anytime you see someone who elevates themselves and their words above the authority of Scripture, that's a false preacher. And that's a false message. We've never been called, pastors have never, ever been called to make the message of the gospel more acceptable to the world. We've been called to do a lot, but that's not one of them. And how arrogant must you be to claim that you know better than God? (laughs) Peter says we can identify them when they elevate their own authority. But secondly, Peter says, false teachers follow their deviant instincts. We see this in verse 14. He says, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Now, you can put out in parentheses, this is what they see. Now, you would think, all right, what do they see? What are their eyes full of? You would think that as a preacher, the next word would be eyes full of righteousness, eyes full of God's holiness, eyes full of God's kingdom, eyes full of God's mission, eyes full of something that relates to the one to whom they are preaching or talking about, right? That would make sense. That's what you want to see in the teachers and the prophets, Somebody here is saying, you know what, God, I'm going to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. Instead, Peter writes that what they have eyes full of, he says they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Now, I know that as, as we are going through Revelation, we have talked about how God uses the analogy of adultery to define spiritual terms, okay? We, we said that, that as ancient Israel would leave his worship and go worship false gods, that he would say, you're, you're playing the harlot, you're committing adultery with me. This is not what Peter is saying. Peter is using the word adultery to mean adultery. Now, the actual translation of, of what Peter says is this. It, it actually translates that having eyes full of an adulteress. All right? Now, Peter is not condemning women with that statement. It, it is not a comment on, on, on women. It is a comment on the false teachers who are viewing every single woman as a potential candidate to fulfill, as it says right there, what does it say after that? Their insatiable appetite for sins. 
the teachers see, these false teachers see every woman as, as one who would be able to, to satisfy a little bit of their sins. And, and they see a woman who's maybe unsteady in her soul and, and, and prey on her because their eyes are full of adultery. It's what they want. It, it's, it's, it's where we get the word hedonism. It says, talking about their pleasure, the word pleasure there is, we translate hedonism, where it says hedonism, the central aspect is whatever makes me feel good, my body feel good, I'm going to engage in. And these false prophets are engaging in adultery because it makes them feel good, and, and they love it, and that's what they want. It's what their eyes see. You want to follow somebody who... who who acts and behaves like that? Would you follow me if I behaved that way? No. And I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. But this is what, this, this is what they want. Forget, seek your, your kingdom first, God. I'm seeking the next woman. And sadly... Sadly, and it's still true today, far too many and one too many pastors have been engaged and caught in adultery and sexual immorality. Man, the headlines the past year has just been mind-numbing. It's just, it's just boggling the mind. Professors that I studied under, the chancellor of the university that I got my master's degree from, and you just shake your head. But have you noticed something about adultery with all these people that God exposes it? This is one area that I think God, and I'm going to quote somebody here, he says that this is exposed, quote, very publicly for the glory of his name and the purity of his church. Every last one of them thought they'd get away with it. And every last one of them got caught. God will bring it to light. But Peter writes, look at false teachers. What is it they're really following? Because we see in their deviant instincts that what they see and what they want is another woman as a conquest. But then finally, Peter says, you can identify false teachers because they train themselves in greed. And you can put out in parentheses, this is what's in their heart. The end of verse 14 says, they have hearts trained in greed. Trained in greed. The word trained there in the Greek is actually where we get our word gymnasium. Where you go what? To work out, to train, to, to get stronger. How, how do you train in greed? How, how do you grow your heart and train your heart in greed? I mean, what, you, you bench press $100 bills? I, I, I don't know. How do you do that? But what, whatever it is, they devote their energy to acquire more and more and more and more money. That's what they want. How much is enough? Just a little more, right? Every, and every one of us at one point in time has said that, right? If I only had just a little more, we never want a lot more. We just want a little more a lot of times, right? That's what they do. They, they're, they, they're, they're doing it. They, they want money. That's all they can see. The only thing that they see the people following them for is a way to get rich quick. You see you as dollar signs, right? 
Now look, we know Scripture has taught us to be joyous givers. Right? You've heard me preach on giving. God expects us to be givers. He really does. To give out of our abundance, to give out of our poverty. But to give, and to give generously and with joy. I've preached messages on stewardship. I've preached messages on tithing. I encourage you to give to Annie Armstrong and, and Lottie Moon and when we collect for the Baptist Children's Home so that money can be used in ministry to promote the gospel. But I really don't think I've ever put an 800 number or a website in the bulletin or online for you to send me money so that I could pray for you. Send me money so that I could replace the two hubcaps on my van. Right? Paint my new jet. Need a new helicopter. You know, I got a field that I could park a helicopter at my house and I could park it right there. It could cut my commute time by a lot, I imagine. I don't know. But a little bit. Right? Peter is saying, look, this, this is what, he says, this is what their hearts are. And you look about a, a lot of ministries, a lot of pastors today, and, and please don't misunderstand me. Ministries, there are legitimate ministries out there, and to fund ministry and to be on TV and radio, you, you need money. And I, I, I'm not saying that that's wrong. What I'm saying is, when you watch them, do they spend more time preaching the Word or producing slick commercials to tell you to send seed money to them so that you can, by giving them $1,000, God's going to give you 100 And I guess if I really wanted to be rude, if you're that gullible, go ahead and write me the check. I will gladly turn around and give you a hundred back. They train their hearts in greed. It's what they want. Peter says you can identify them that way. And Peter wraps all this up with the interesting story. With the story of Balaam. He says, they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Now, the story of Balaam is an interesting story, to say the least. It's found in the book of Numbers in chapters 22 through 24. And he's mentioned again in Numbers chapter 31. He's an interesting figure. But after his original story, he's never mentioned in a positive light again in the rest of Scripture. But this is basically what happened. I'm, I'm, I'm really simplifying his story this moment. This morning, he was motivated by greed. And so the king of Moab comes to him and says, Look, I want you to come and plead with God on my behalf, he's the king of Moab, to curse Israel. Balaam is setting himself up as a prophet of Israel, but the king of Moab says, Come, plead with God to curse his own children. We probably know where this is going to end up, but there's more to the story. After several attempts, he decides to go. And what does he do? Well, he hops on his donkey to go to the king of Moab. And, and he's on his way. And as he's going up there to, to, to go see the king of Moab, right, his mouth, right, is about to speak on his own authority. His, his eyes are full of adultery. We see that in a later story. And his heart is set on greed, right? 
You see how Balaam sums up everything that Peter has just said? There's nothing in Balaam as he's riding his donkey to go to see the king of Moab where Balaam is going, I can't wait to go and be a preacher of righteousness. There's none of that. He's focused on greed, money, and blasphemy. So he's, he's ready to go. So he's on his donkey and he's riding up there. And all of a sudden, on his way, while riding his donkey, we're told that an angel of the Lord appears in front of the donkey and blocks the path. And one of the interesting aspects of the story is Balaam can't see it, but the donkey can. So the donkey sees an angel. And remember, angels are not cute little fat chubby kids with wings. Angels are warriors. The donkey turns to avoid the angel. Balaam is mad, beats his donkey. Donkey gets back on the path, keeps going forward. Angel appears a second time. Same reaction. Balaam can't see it. The donkey can. The donkey turns. Balaam gets mad, beats his donkey. Happens a third time, but this time there's an added piece of information that says that the the angel appears in a narrow place. So the donkey can't turn to the left, can't turn to the right, can't turn around. The donkey has to go forward, but there's an angel, not cute little fat chubby kid with wings, warrior angel standing in front of the donkey. The donkey can't go forward. The donkey does the only thing the donkey knows how to do. The donkey lays down. Balaam still cannot see the angel. Gets off his donkey takes his staff, and beats his donkey. At that moment, we see in Numbers, we're reminded here in 2 Peter, that, how, how, does, how does Peter write it? It says, a speechless donkey spoke with a human voice. At that point, the donkey turns and speaks to Balaam and rebukes Balaam, and Balaam, in his anger, argues with the donkey. Which, to me, is the best part of the whole story. I mean, can I get a thought bubble? Why is this donkey talking to me? He starts to argue with the donkey. And just in case you're wondering, it's called a miracle. God can intervene. He can give vocal cords to a donkey. Okay? But finally, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes, and he sees the angel. And the angel says, well, not for your donkey. I was prepared to kill you. Right? Balaam goes on. He ends up not cursing Israel, but that's really about it because the rest of his life does not end up well. And so you go, what is Peter's point in this story? Well, I think Peter's point is very, very simple. And I'm going to use the old and Latin name for a donkey. And the point is this. Peter is quite bluntly saying that an Old Testament jackass is smarter than a false teacher. And he's still smarter than false teachers today. And if you're willing to follow a false teacher where a dumb donkey is smarter, what does it make you Because the only wise choice when it comes to false teachers is to reject their lawlessness. For we know how Balaam's story ends. 
We know that all the people that followed him did not end well, but in his blasphemy, in his adultery, and he led the people of Israel into physical adultery, and in his greed, Balaam and his followers are killed fighting against Israel. And the same destiny awaits any and all false teachers and all who follow them forsaking the right way to go astray and follow someone who doesn't have enough common sense as a donkey. That's arrogance. And that's what Peter is telling us we need to avoid. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.